Yeah, don't don't swear anymore. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. We are on chapter 37. Begins on 408 or 409, actually. Chapter 37, I believe, is the longest chapter in the entire Tanya. Did the story begin? The story, oh, the story, the story has begun. <laughs> all right, all right. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest chapter in the entire Tanya. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly. We're going to split it up into several parts. Um, I envision at least three parts, but I guess we'll see. We'll take it as it comes. We'll see how it goes. But what we're discussing here, it's actually a continuation from last week's discussion. In chapter 36, we made a paradigm shift. My soul wants to be, in terms of its comfort, wants to be in heaven, wants to bask in the rays of God's light in heaven. So why did my soul come down here? What is my soul doing here, right? We rather be, um, it, you know, on a, on a personal level, I'd be much more comfortable in a Jewish community surrounded by, uh, by, by a Jewish environment, right? What did I do in Pleasanton? I didn't come to Pleasanton to be comfortable. That's for sure. That I didn't. You were given a and purpose. We were given a purpose. The soul was given a purpose. Comes from heaven for a purpose. And we all we can all find this analogy uh, within ourselves. Spiritually, it's much more comfortable to be at Yom Kippur in Shul on the Elo when we're at the the height of the moment with the song and the and, and the singing and the spiritual moment. Right? We love moments of inspiration. Why do we leave them? Or why are we forced to leave them? We love moments of comfort. Why are we forced to leave them? Um, and we can all find this analogy within ourselves on some level. And it applies to everybody. Why is our soul here? It's not to be comfortable, but it's to give. It's for a purpose. Like Mike said, and what is that purpose? To satiate, if you will, God's desire. What is God's desire? A dwelling place in the lowest of realms. God wants to dwell in the lowest of realms. God wants this world to be a place where he can call home. Um, when we say lowest of realms, we don't mean geographically lower. Um, as if earth is lower than heaven, because this it's not a physical uh, place, but we mean spiritually lower. In terms of divine light illuminating this world, this world is the dimmest. Our world is the most dim. In fact, the Hebrew word for world, olam, also means concealment, because the world by nature conceals the presence of God. And God did that on purpose. He put us in a world that hides him. He says, I want you to find me. And when you find me, do things to make me comfortable here so I can come and I can dwell here. And when God dwells here in a revealed way, when we can actually experience him in this world, not in heaven, that's, that's what the Messianic era is all about. The Messianic era, the era of Mashiach, is when God reveals himself in this world. Now let's take a look at our chapter. The second paragraph on page 409, it's the first bold paragraph. Now, the fullest expression of this reality of a home for God is in the lowest of realms. You will see this concept uh, creep up, if you will, pop up throughout Hasidic literature. And he called, it's referred to in Hebrew as it is in the parentheses here, Dira Betachtonim, a dwelling place in the lowest of realms. The fullest expression of this reality is 
as we have learned in chapter 36, in the time of the Messianic era and the revival of the dead, since at that time there will be a disclosure of the blessed infinite light within this physical world. So when will God's vision for humanity be fully materialized when Mashiach comes? The era of Mashiach, the Messianic era, is when God's vision for humanity. In fact, um, Isaiah says, in, in, uh, when Isaiah prophesizes the coming of Mashiach, he says, at that time, the world will be full of the knowledge of God. We'll know God. We'll not just believe in God. Right now we believe in him. But we want him here. <laughs> right? We don't just want to believe in him. We want to get to know him. So you say Mashiach, but you don't say the Mashiach. Um, that's probably my my um, lack of grammar, <laughs> my, no, gram that, my grammatical that's, inaccuracy. Mashiach is Hebrew. All, all yeah. lecturers, Jewish lecturers say that. S say what? They say leave Mashiach uh, as opposed uh, to the... They don't talk about a person. They talk about a... Well, if you say it in English, you say the Messiah, but... Right. Right. So, so I, think, I think what you're saying, David, is the, the focus here seems to be not on the individual Mashiach, the, the, the Messiah, but more of the era. Um, that's really what's important. Mashiach is an individual. There will be an individual, the Mashiach, the Savior who will lead the Jewish people. Um, he will replace King David. He will serve as the king of the Jewish people and leading them. Um, but what, what's important here is the era that, 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 really, um, that this really represents. Um, it happens to be led by a human being. And there's a lot to discuss in the coming. We're actually going to have in the spring, we're going to have a JLI course on Mashiach, what it's all about. Oh. Um, it'll be very interesting. So this is a free plug-in. Stay tuned <laughs> after Passover. Um, what, so what is the Mashiach? What is the war of Gog and Magog, the war that precedes the coming of Mashiach? All these different things. And, and these are fascinating topics. But the point is the, the, the Mashiach era, who Mashiach is, the qualifications for the individual to lead the Jewish people, these are more, these are more technicalities. Um, so Isaiah says when Mashiach comes we're going to know God right now we believe in him but God says I want you to get to know me so I'm going to hide myself and you'll have to find me and get to know me otherwise you know seeing is believing but, but that's not a good relationship <laughs> right you don't just want to believe your spouse you want to know your spouse we don't just want to believe and just see God and, okay, I see him. We want to get to know him. We want to be intimate with God. And that's going to happen when Mashiach comes. But the paradigm shift here is in our understand how we understand the Messianic era. It's not, Mashiach is not just an era of which we're just waiting to occur. We're not just sitting waiting. You know, we've been in exile for thousands of years. God destroyed the temple, or, or I should say the Romans destroyed the temple. God allowed the temple to be destroyed. And we're waiting aimlessly for thousands of years, and one day, you know, Mashiach will come and the temple will be rebuilt. But the Al-Tareb, the author here, makes a paradigm shift and says, no, Mashiach is a responsibility on us to actually usher in that era. Let's take a look at the second bold paragraph right under. All this, it's the fourth paragraph on the page, second bold paragraph, all this is dependent on our mitzvah actions and our worship in prayer. So the experience of God in this world, that revelation that we're talking about, making this world a home for God, which is the, what Mashiach is all about, all this is dependent on our actions, on our mitzvahs, on our prayer, on our involvement. We have an incredible responsibility throughout the whole period of exile, which gradually and cumulatively 
neutralizes the forces of klipa. When we do a mitzvah, well, well in other, the, the coming of Mashiach is literally dependent on us. Us studying Torah right now. That's a mitzvah. That brings Mashiach. You do a mitzvah. That brings Mashiach. That brings Mashiach closer. Because that makes this world more of a home for God. Mashiach, the, the era of Mashiach, a world that is comfortable for God to reside in, those are synonymous. And what makes God comfortable is our service to him. So, you know, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the, uh, you know, the, the story where, um, you know, of the city, if, if you find, if you find a uh, hundred good people in, in the city, um, right. and God this week's story. portion. If, if, if you find 10 people, you know, all, all, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm, you know, thinking about the story, well, what, what's, what's the metric here in terms of Moshiach coming? Is it that every Jew is constantly performing mitzvot? Is it 90% of us, you know, like, like what threshold do we have to like reach before Moshiach will come? Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask that question. No, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> That's such a good question. I, I, I'm going to tell you, whenever I, I discuss this topic with people, that is the question. Because it may seem very abstract. Like, is this ever going to happen? Um, the actual metric will be discussed. He will discuss the metric um, later on in the chapter. But, it, it you know, Maimonides says that we have to wor look at the world or as our deeds, actually, as a scale. A scale of half mitzvahs, of half good deeds, half averas, half transgressions, half sins, half bad deeds. It's an, it's, a, it's an even scale. That's how we have to view it. You don't know the power of one mitzvah. You don't know the impact that that one mitzvah can have. Um, not only that, the impact that that mitzvah has, or, or the truth is all the mitzvahs we're doing, in tipping the scale is accumulated, accumulative, uh, tongue twister. Cumulative. Cumulative, there we go. From all the prior generations that have preceded us. So it's not just Mike has been putting on tefillin. It's that Mike has been putting on tefillin after thousands of generations of Jews putting on tefillin. We're just at... You know, that the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not that straw. You know, you might say, how heavy is a straw already? Come on. But after enough straws throughout the year, we illuminate the world. Um, it, it, seems, uh, it seems like a very foreign concept in our climate now. It really does. It really does. Where, you know, are people really open to God? Are people really open to believing in something they can't see or perceive? Um, but that's that's all part of the test. Well, is everybody looking for the Mashiach, or the Mashiach will just come and you'll know it's the Mashiach, or do you have to find them? Is it going to be hiding like God? Are you we'll looking know. for a role model that are going to bring you close to God? Good question. Good question. So, so the individual himself is someone whom God is going to choose. Yes. God, God will decide, you know, um, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, the role of Mashiach is, you know, there's no election. <laughs> It's not a democracy. <laughs> Judaism is not a democracy. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but God is um, <laughs> just a timely joke, timely corny joke. But um, 
God is going to pick out who the actual Mashiach is. But in terms of, uh, but, it, but it's our responsibility to get the world ready. So, but when the Mashiach comes, we will know the Mashiach's here? Or we will know when he's here. find him like Hashem? Okay, good question. No, no, no. When, when, when Mashiach comes, we will know that he's here. Because we'll feel close to God. Yes. Yes. And there, there's actually certain indications one of which Elijah, Eliyahu, the prophet, blowing the sounding the great shofar, and there's other indications as well. Um, so we'll definitely be aware of when Mashiach's coming. Um, the question is, if Mashiach's coming is dependent on making this world a good place, how the heck is that ever going to happen? <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the short answer is, Number one, we don't know the impact of the good that we're having, that we're doing. Um, number two, the good that we're doing is cumulative, cumulative um, over uh, thousands of years of other people doing positivity as well, right? That, that one straw might be the one to break the camel's back, but, but it's because of all the straws that preceded it. I'll tell you this. Um, somebody once asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said, you have, you have representatives all over the world. Spreading goodness, spreading kindness, bringing, uh, getting people back in touch with their, in their relationship with God. And they're working tireless, tirelessly, essentially to bring Mashiach. That's essentially why we're here. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Because when Jews embrace their Judaism, that makes this world a better place. When the truth is, it's not just Jews. When every human being embraces their essential identity, that brings Mashiach closer. Um, so he says to the Rebbe, where is Mashiach? How is this ever going to happen? How is this possible that he's not here yet? And the Rebbe's response was, I have the same question. I don't know. <laughs> and that's why I constantly challenge the shluchim to up their game. And the Rebbe said, I don't let them sleep. Shluchim aren't allowed to sleep. Now, it's your job to make sure we don't sleep. But we're not allowed to sleep. <laughs> the community has to keep us busy enough so we don't sleep. But, but we're not supposed to... I don't mean this literally, but we're supposed to be busy bringing Mashiach. That's really what we're here for. That's the bottom line. And I remember it was, we had the counselors here this past summer, we're running the summer camp and camp is hectic. It really is. But it's a lot of nitty gritty tasks and chores and and sometimes it's easy for me to think like why am i doing this <laughs> i'm sitting there on the phone with trying to arrange activities and trips and housing for counselors i want to be teaching torah i want to be <laughs> and i remember once there was an incident with the counselors everything was fine but but they thought they smelled um some sort of their their oven was left on and they thought they smelled may have smelled carbon monoxide they weren't sure um i called the we called the fire department and they were they were staying in fremont about a 20 minute drive it's 10 30 at night i get in the car and it hit me this is part of bringing mashiach making sure counselors are safe in the middle of fremont <laughs> 20 minutes away at 10 30 at night and making sure they're happy, making sure their needs are met is part of bringing Mashiach. Because happy counselors, happy camp, happy camp, successful camp, successful camp, kids engage in their heritage, making this world a brighter place. Sometimes the details are so far removed. I was reading in one of the Rebbe's talks, he says, you know what a Chabad Chassid is? He says, the world says 
that a Chabadnik is one of those dudes who is crazy enough to think Mashiach could come tomorrow. And he says, you know what? They're right. <laughs> That's a Chabad person, an idealistic, crazy person who thinks Mashiach can come any moment. And it, it's so, it can be difficult to have faith in humanity. But bottom line, you know who's dependent on? Us. Us. <laughs> it's all up to us. Now, why is it dependent on us? Why is it dependent on a mitzvah? Why is this revelation, this divine experience of Mashiach, of this closeness to God in this physical world, which results in a world of peace, and a world of goodness and kindness. Why is this dependent on us? The answer is on page 410. It's the top of the page, the top old paragraph. It's the power of a mitzvah. We don't see the power of a mitzvah, but we know the power of the mitzvah from right here. Because through performing the mitzvah, you pull down a disclosure of the blessed infinite light, a.k.a. God, from above to below, so that the blessed infinite light becomes enmeshed in the physical fabric of this world. When we do a mitzvah, a physical mitzvah, not just when we are inspired, when we're inspired or we are connecting to God on some level, but when we do a mitzvah, we connect to God in a very physical level, on a very, in, a physical, in a very physical way. Now God becomes part of our physical world. He's comfortable in our physical world. Now, we don't necessarily see that in a mitzvah. When we do a mitzvah, we don't see that. Um, I should speak for myself. <laughs> when I do a mitzvah, I believe it. I don't see it. And this is why our sages in the Talmud referred to mitzvahs as fruits. Because a fruit starts off with a seed. You just put a seed in the ground. It's only later that you see a tree that produces fruit. Right? You do a mitzvah. It's only later, and hopefully very soon, when Mashiach comes, we're going to see the impact that that mitzvah had on this world. And making this world more comfortable for God. Questions, thoughts, comments, controversy. <laughs> Looks like we're all good. We're all in the boat here. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it's a lot better than politics. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more hopeful. <laughs> you know what? I, the, the trick is shut off the phone, shut off the Facebook and. <laughs> because it really distracts us from our purpose. But one of the things learning this does really puts an essential value in, in a mitzvah. Because now a mitzvah is not just a cultural observance. It's not just reminding us of our heritage. It does do that, but it's so much more than that. What we see is a cultural observance that reminds us of our heritage and God. But really what we're doing, what God wants. Because what, what makes that mitzvah, that's why mitzvahs are so specific. Mitzvahs are very specific because it's about God's will. It's not just about the cultural resemblance. That's why they have to be done very, that's why there's very specific parameters in how to get the mitzvah done right. Because if... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to have a little um, differ with you because you said turn off Facebook. So basically, like the only way that I contact with anyone in South Africa or anyone that I actually know is through Facebook. And through Facebook, you see if they're struggling, you can kind of communicate with them. Agreed. And and Agreed. then you see what they're doing and you don't play with them and then you can't do the mitzvah. So it's kind of a catch-22, this turn off Facebook. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. How about this? Facebook breaks. 
Or yeah, I mean, if you're, doing, still... if you're doing it purposefully and meaningfully, then it's not a right. problem. But if you're doing it not purposefully or not no, meaningfully, then it's true. 100%. 100%. 100%. Agreed. Agreed. Um, definitely, if it's done discretionally, look, Facebook and much of this world is a double-edged sword. And it could work for us and it could work for against us. And it's kind of our choice. Yeah. It's choices. And you can do it through any means to do the mitzvah or to be part of and to be part of the community. Because otherwise you'll never hear about the chalabake and you'll never hear about what right. anyone other community is doing because you're only involved in your own community and your own self. There's definitely, there's certainly value to, uh, um, to it. Definitely. Um, you know, it, it, I was meeting with an individual a couple of months ago it was a Friday and he says I don't know if I told you the story if I did you could stop me um, he tells me it was a Friday and he says look I'm on Facebook and I'm on watching the following the media and these are very tense times now it's even more tense but this was two months ago and it's very depressing it's very depressing to see what's going on with the virus. It's depressing to see everybody attacking each other on each other's opinions. It's depressing to see people beat each other up for their political differences. He says, as a rabbi, what advice can you offer me? I said, look, it's Friday. Shabbos is in about six hours. For 24 hours, 25 hours, why don't you shut it off? And take a break from it. And just be present with your family. Have a Shabbat dinner tonight. And for 25 hours, just no media. A day to realize that you're not of the world, you're above the world. He says, okay, I like the idea, nice idea. He's been doing it for two months so far. Friday, he shuts off his phone. He doesn't go on his computer. And he has one day, he has an entire week where he can struggle and try to use Facebook and media, the social media for uh, conducively. But one day a week where he says, I'm, I'm going to rise above on, on, on Shabbos. He said at first it was difficult. It was weird, he said. But he loves it. He absolutely loves it. Um, but the point, the point is, amidst all the craziness that's going on in this world, we have to realize or, or, or not give up hope on the value of our good deeds. And by the way, just to, to, um, just to readdress the question you had, Mike, which if I understand your question correctly, if this world is on such a low, how are we supposed to illuminate it? Right? Well, I mean, I, I wasn't suggesting that uh, like we're not close to that threshold that we're so far low, but I was curious. I, would, like, I don't mean us as individuals, but I mean, collectively, you know, there's a lot of craziness out there. Yes, that is true. Um, but, but that's kind of where God wants to dwell in the lowest of the low. That's the mission to bring God into the lowest of the low. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, that's part of the journey that the low points are part of the journey. Now, the reason why, um, the reason why bringing, a, you know, bringing a mitzvah, doing a mitzvah brings God, as we said, into the fabric of physicality. Let's take a, uh, let's take a look, uh, um, sorry, on, the, on page 410 again, in the middle of the page, the middle bold paragraph. 
that disclosure of blessed infinite light comes into an object which had initially been under the control of Klipas Noga and the object had been receiving its energy from Klipas Noga. So we have the concept of Klipa and as we mentioned in chapter 6 and chapter 7, there are two types of Klipa. Let's first, let's take a step back. What is Klipa? What does Klipa literally mean on a, a literal translation? Does anybody remember? Shell. The shell or right. covering. Right, a shell. Um, essentially hiding the divine light. We see the world for, or we perceive the world for what meets our eyes. We don't see anything deeper than that. That's because of Klipa. The, the, the analogy we gave is the fruit. You hold up an orange. And I say, what am I holding? You say, oh, you're holding an orange. No, or sorry, other way around. I'm holding the orange and I say, what do you see? I see an orange. No, you see the klipa. <laughs> you see the peel of the orange. But you're so used to seeing the peel, you start calling the peel the orange. We're so used to seeing through the paradigm of klipa, we, we start to perceive life and, and, and um, accept life based on what we see rather than going deeper, right? The best analogy for this is human relationships. The, we judge by what we see, right? Before getting to even know people, that's klipa. We're just looking on the outside, we forget about the inside. That's why in Judaism that we have the concept of modesty. Not to negate the outside, but to cover the outside, to remind us that there is an inside. There's a beautiful custom at a Jewish wedding, right before the chuppah, right before the actual um, ceremony under the tent, under the canopy, the groom is escorted to the bride and puts a covering over the bride's face. And it, it, it may seem very bizarre. So, so Lynn, do you remember that? When the we jacket? Were the huh? jacket? Sorry. Right. Yeah. 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 We, we made it for her. Right. So, right. so we had the privilege of going to New York for Hannah's uh, a wedding and okay. Lynn was there too. And we watched that happen as the groom uh, placed the veil over Hannah's you know, uh, face. So okay. is this, well, this, this connected to uh, uh, the switching of the Rachel and Leah. Good. So that's one of the reasons why we do it to remember that that in that uh, episode where Jacob was originally supposed to marry Leah, but she had a veil on. He ended up marrying Rachel. Oops, wrong one. <laughs> you flipped it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the reasons why we cut we cover the the face. It's very interesting. You're about to marry the person. Why are you covering their face? How rude. <laughs> but it's a reminder that the relationship is not defined by your physical appearance, but rather who you really are. So that's the, sh that's the klipa? That's the shell? That's the shell. The shell, the klipa um, makes us focus on, on the outside, not the inside, not the truth. That's why during the Shema, where we pronounce the oneness of God, we say Hashem Echad, God is one, God is essentially relevant. What do we do? We cover our eyes. And we say, stop seeing, Shema, listen. To perceive past what we can actually see. Right? Where was I going with this? <laughs> okay, so what is Klipa? <laughs> so what is Noga? Okay, so there's two types of Klipa. There's what's oh. called Klipas Noga. I don't know the literal translation of Noga, but uh, we could refer back to chapters six could, and seven. Could you seven, say but... that uh, Klipas Noga is the transformative kind of Klipa and that it takes the, takes the shape of whatever intent you are putting into it? Exactly. Klipas Noga is pariv. It's not a total concealment of God's divine light. It can be promoted. It can be elevated. It can be demoted. 
And then there's the other type of klipa that is, can't be elevated at all. It can only be rejected. That's our only relationship with it. Um, so an example of klipas noga. Any examples? Um, I suppose you could say there, there, are, there are so many. Right. I mean, uh, you know, one example comes to mind, Sharon, you said it earlier, Facebook. But yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Facebook's not prohibited. It's not a mitzvah either. It's part of it's in the middle and you can choose to elevate it by doing good things with it. We can also choose to demote it. I don't know if that's the right word uh, to degrade it. What's the word? I don't know. I, yeah, demote's fine. I mean, it, um, Okay, I guess we, we get the point, right? Yeah. So Facebook is a perfect example of that middle ground of klipa. It's not essentially holy. It's not essentially profane either. It's our choice, what we make of it. That's the middle type of klipa. God is somewhat hidden from it. And, and, and that's kind of what we're saying here with a mitzvah. Mitzvahs are done with klipas noga. We've the middle type of clipper that can be elevated. A cow is not holy. A cow is not profane either. If that cow is used for improper purposes, um, think of any example that you'd like, we demote it. But if we take that cow and we turn it into tefillin, we turn its hide into a Torah, into a mezuzah scroll, or if it's uh, if it's shecked. Good. If we slaughter it, right? Proper way. Right. We slaughter it properly and eat it on our Shabbos meal, not just indulgently, but with a purpose for a mitzvah, or we feed the poor with it. Now it became holy. We've elevated the klipa, which means God dwells now in the physical world. That cow is a holy cow. Holy cow. <laughs> that literally became a holy cow. A holy parchment. God is literally weaved in, is literally part of the physical parchment of the world. Okay, only a few people are going to get this. And maybe you have to be from Chicago to get it. But um, who, who knew that moly could be elevated? Holy, Does anybody holy. have any idea what I'm talking about? Holy Is that a moly. Chicago thing? Holy, holy moly. moly. Holy moly. And who, who said that? Do you know, remember who, who's well known? That song, right? Uh, there might be a song, but I was thinking of uh, Chicago Cubs and Harry Carey. Where, oh, yeah. Okay. And, and he, he, he was an announcer for the Cubs for decades and decades and decades. And, and like something you know, amazing would happen. He'd go, holy moly. So this discussion has <laughs> just made me think of that. <laughs> in uh, in uh, Tennessee, the Jewish um, kosher uh, catering and restaurant in the JCC in um, I think it was I think it was Memphis. The name of it is called Holy Cow. Oh yeah. Yeah. There used to be a, a kosher ice cream place in Los Angeles called Holy Cow. I believe that. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but now this cow literally becomes a holy cow. It becomes, it, it bec God is dwelling in the physical world. It's fulfilling its purpose and facilitating God in the lowest of realms. And even something as parchment and, 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 and uh, something, you know, ink. Um, but God won't dwell, or it's not our job to bring God into something which is a, the lower level of klipa that can't be elevated. The Sitra. Right, the sitra right. The Sitra Akhra, the complete klipa. There's a darker level of klipa where it's such a thick shell. We can't reveal God there. He's going to come there when he's ready, when Mashiach comes. Our job is to negate it. Our job is to reject it. So, for example, if I were to take a kosher steak and I make a blessing on that kosher steak and I use the energy, the nutrients that I got from that kosher steak, to come to a Torah study class, 
or to enjoy a Shabbat meal or to do something holy with it, I've elevated it. It was something that was profane or, or wasn't, it was something that was mundane, I should say, not profane, it was mundane. And instead of indulging and making it profane, I've elevated it to something holy. So you but, can... yeah? No, go ahead, finish your thought. If I were to do that with a non-kosher steak, it wouldn't work. If I were to to learn Torah, to study Torah with the energy from that steak and enjoy a Shabbat meal with the energy from that non-kosher steak, it wouldn't elevate. It just wouldn't because it's from that lower level of klipa. And the only way to address it is to reject it. And that's why, that's why it's in Hebrew, the way we say forbidden, asur. Asur also means tied down. It's tied down. We can't elevate it. The Hebrew word mutar, permitted, means released, not tied. Because it can be elevated. Uh, we'll talk about some, some examples that he brings here in a minute. But Mike, what were you going to say? Okay, so I, I want to build my question around your last comment because I'm pretty sure I misunderstood what you said. But I thought, I thought, I, I thought you said that uh, when Moshiach comes, um, the holiness can be revealed from things that are considered um, tied down. So, yes. so um, but that, I mean, I, my, my head is translating that to mean, well, I can't eat pork today, but when Moshiach comes, I can eat pork because then the holiness will be revealed. You I must be mis- what really? <laughs> it's going to become kosher. Okay, I did not misunderstand you then. Okay. Yay, shrimp and lobster. Here we go. <laughs> Just be patient. <laughs> All right. A little patience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> A little patience and we can eat it. No, but but that's what it is. Because the reason why we can't eat it is because it's it's bound, it's tied. It's the lowest level of klipa that can't be elevated by us. God can elevate it. Okay. And yeah. he will. And he will when Mashiach comes. Exactly. Exactly. That, no, you got it, Mike. Spot on. Some hmm. say that's why one of the Hebrew words for, for pig or for pork in Hebrew we call pchazer. You know the term chazer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does the word chazer mean? My bub used to call me a chazer all the time. She used to call you a chazer? A, 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 gl- a glutton? <laughs> right. a glutton. That, that's a good bubby. A glutton. <laughs> right. So like a pig. When you're pigging out, it's, it's a chazer. So a chazer also, one of the trans, one of the chazer comes from the word chazara, to return. Chazer, to return. Because when Mashiach comes, it's going to return. Um... The examples that he gives here. I have a question. Yeah. How does chazan, does that fit into that also? No, chazan is a different word. Okay. Different word. Um, I I have a question as well. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Please do. So, so, um, if, yeah, if you're going to be released, so it's your soul going to be released and you're going to have no tie down when the Mashiach comes. So may, maybe then you're not even on this earth. Then maybe you're something more godly and more in a higher realm. Because if, if you're on this earth and you eat pig, you're going to be tied down. If you're eating, if you're doing anything, you won't need all that stuff because you'll be so spiritual. You won't need it. Okay, good question. I, the literal translation is released. But, but what we mean here is more revealed, expressed. But I mean, it's like, it just, it just grates me thinking that you can eat pig. And it's like, grates me thinking that you can, that the klipa is going to be like, oh, then it's going to be okay. But I, I, I just, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's just it, weird. It I, is I weird. Can't, I can't even conceive it. I can't conceive it. I can't see the Mashiach coming in this day and age. I can't, I, it's hard to grasp when everything is going to be so, spiritual and so beautiful right it's like it's like from another world it you know and that's it yeah you're right i totally get it and that's part of part of learning tanya and part of learning um hasidic literature and perspective is to get us ready to, to to be able to help us stomach that perspective 
so, so that's as maybe difficult that as it is. The people who are breaking the law, they're going to return, but they've already broken it, so they're ready for the Mashiach. Do you understand going to that other extreme? What, what do you mean? So, okay, so people that don't like, um, that eat um, seafood and eat and kosher, then maybe they're preparing for the Mashiach because then they're oh. they looking the boundaries. <laughs> if you, do you understand? You can take it to the extreme of like, because yeah. now you tie no, I get down. that. It, so it's a good excuse, it. but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. I get Plus, it. The Mashiach won't come if you do do it. It's yeah. It's on the contrary. If they're going to do that, it's going yeah, to Mashiach, to isolate Mashiach because it's it's adding more darkness. I get it. I get it. It's just like the extreme, and it's like it, it's a so funny I'm concept. Here. It's a it's a weird concept. Yeah. Um, I, never, look, I never knew that, and it's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> the, the concept of Mashiach essentially is being able to expect a brighter future and not thinking that we're just stuck in this cycle of humanity. Maimonides writes something interesting. He says that the events that took place with the development of Christianity and Islam as horrible as they were for the Jews, leading to pogroms, leading to um, uh, violence and death of many Jews. Um, it definitely was, was not a good time for the Jews. He says, as, and, and not to mention the idolatry involved in Jews astraying, he says, but it did pave the road for Mashiach because people are now more aware of, a, of, of the concept of a savior. Albeit be the wrong savior, <laughs> but the concept is something that 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 is um, that that people now begin to relate to, relate to a, a better and brighter future. He says over here on the bottom of four ten. Um, you know, halachically. Tefillin can only may, be made from a kosher animal. Same idea. If we were trying to, if we were, if one were to, God forbid, write a Torah from um, hide of a non-kosher animal, it wouldn't work because it's that lower level of klipa that has to be rejected. It can't be elevated. But another example: let's say somebody gave charity from stolen money. Does it work or no? Does it elevate the money or, or no? Stealing is a sin. Stealing is klipa, the lowest level of klipa that can't be that can't be elevated. God said not to do it. Person giving charity from stolen funds, it doesn't work. It's called it robbing. Elevate. Right, robbing the to rob the rich and feed the poor, it doesn't work. Halakhically, and and that's because it's already tied down that can't be released. In general, that's why a mitzvah can't be done through an avera, through a sin, according to Allah. Mitzvahs can't be done through sin for that specific reason. Um, there's actually one except there's several exceptions of when a mitzvah can be do, the, done through a sin. Well, I was just this thinking about this. I was thinking about this, thinking, well, all right, for the person who performed the robbery, it can't be elevated. But if this person gives this gives this stolen money to somebody else who has no idea where it came from, and that person decides to give it to charity, I would think at that point, since it was given to the charity by somebody who doesn't know its origin, it could be elevated. Okay, so that's a good question. Halacha in, in the Talmud does address these situations. Um, and it is possible that it can be elevated at that point. It may depend on the original owner's uh, perspective, if he gave up on it already or not. If he never gave up on the money, it never te technically transferred uh, legal possessions and it's still considered stolen property. Okay, but the person who ends up giving it doesn't even know it was stolen, let's say. Right. 
Well, so, yeah, sometimes we don't know. You know, what if somebody were to eat pork, but he thought it was steak? That's true. Yeah. And to the and to answer the other question you asked, would it killing someone to save someone else's life? Would that fall under that idea? Um probably same idea you can't elevate that now there are situations let's say somebody's obligated to eat pork all right that's it that situation can arise i mean to save somebody their own, was to save their starving? life to save their yeah own to life. save their life if for some reason i never understood that example how could there be only pork <laughs> there's always something but... <laughs> well like during the during the holocaust Right. If that was right. all they were given. Right. So and it was either it eat this or die. Right. Right. In that case, it can be elevated. Exactly. It can be elevated. Good example. Um, in, in general, though, a mitzvah can't come about through an avera through sin. One, one exception that comes to mind is the mitzvah of shofar. This is funny. The reason why. If you stole a shofar, you still fulfill the mitzvah. If you steal a lulav, steal a lulav and etrog, you won't fulfill the mitzvah. You can't elevate it. If you steal a shofar, you can. And the reason is because the mitzvah is not to blow the shofar. The mitzvah is to hear it. You can't steal sound. Um, but but that's, I guess, more of a technical um, fact. <laughs> Has there ever been a shofar stolen? Um, not that I'm aware of, but... I'll bet it's happened all the time. Point in time. Yeah, <laughs> mine's never got yeah. stolen. How about that? <laughs> yeah. um, now, this is why, by the way. Now, all of this is just to illustrate the impact a mitzvah has on the physical world. When we do a mitzvah, when we do it properly, um, in a way that it can be elevated, God becomes a part of it. And that's why halachically, there's the concept of, you know, what do we do with an old sitter? Bury it. We bury it, right? We don't just chuck it in the garbage. And it's not just out of sentimental respect. It's literally because it, it, it's, it's divine. You can't just throw it out. It's holy. God became part of those physical pages. Um, okay, when, what about... What about um... Let's say you print something out that has God's name on it from a printer that um, it's not a, it's not a book. It was, you know, the intent was never to keep it, which probably means you shouldn't have printed it in the first place. But once it has God's name on it, what happens? Okay. So good question. There are specific details here and I, I don't have all the details offhand. Um, but from my understanding, if it has been read and been used, you have to you have to bury it. Usually, what people do is they drop it off at a center, at a shul, or whatever it is. And next time there's a funeral, Raleigh comes with a coffin and a big box of papers. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's not necessarily burying it in the individual's grave. It's it's usually the cemetery. Two cemeteries have a section for these things. Huh. I'm relieved. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say I, I, a, a ravine? <laughs> Sorry? Did you say a ravine? No, no she I said I'm relieved. She's relieved. Because I thought oh. you dropped it in the coffin. I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I thought you said ravine. It's like, what? But there's somebody that comes and picks it up, right? Or yeah, oh, sometimes it depends on you know, in in large Jewish communities, there's actually a service that people okay. pay for, and and somebody goes around with a truck, you know. Usually around Passover time, where people are anyways cleaning up. It's, uh, you can also raise funds with it as well. Yeah, people charge in it, and it goes to good causes, definitely. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that a mitzvah becomes physically holy, physically divine if it's done in a permitted way um now contrast this this only started once the torah was given if you were to do a mitzvah 
pre-Mount Sinai event, it wouldn't work. Um, even though certain people did mitzvahs, it had a spiritual impact. There was no physical impact. It says that Jacob, our patriarch, used to put on some sort of resemblance of tefillin. But he would use sticks and stones or and do some and had like these wooden tefillin. And the impact in, in, in his, in the divine impact you'd have in the celestial worlds was present, but there was no physical impact. He would literally throw them in the garbage afterwards. We wouldn't be able to do that. When we do a mitzvah, we can't throw the tefillin in the garbage. We can't. It, God is there. There's a story where somebody, um, there was somebody applying to the yeshiva of, of a great rabbi known as the Hassam Sofer, Rabbi Moses of Pressburg. He was the chief rabbi of Pressburg and he had a yeshiva there. This was in the 1800s, early 1800s. And, uh, or maybe even mid-1800s, I don't remember offhand. The Hassam Sofer, Rabbi Moses Pressburg was an incredible scholar, has incredible scholarly works and commentary on the Talmud on, uh, and, and works on, on explaining Jewish law. He was a very sharp person. And, and he had very high standards for students in his yeshiva. And one of them is walking into the room, into the building, and he notices him from the window. And he noticed that the sukkah was down and, and the schach, the covering, the, the leaves of the sukkah was on the floor. And he stepped without noticing on the sukkah, on the sukkah, sukkah schach. He denies him um, acceptance in the yeshiva. Now, these days, no yeshiva would do that because that's just a very high standard of sensitivity. But he expected a high standard of sensitivity in his yeshiva, that was, and that was known. And he rejected him from the yeshiva. He said, you stepped on the schach of the sukkah. It was used for a mitzvah. How do you step on it? And he didn't, he didn't want that environment in his yeshiva. That's a very lofty goal. And the reason why I say that story is just to relay the point that mitzvahs do contain holiness. Prior to the receiving of the Torah, that wasn't the case, with the exception of one mitzvah, circumcision. That was the only physical mitzvah that existed. But otherwise, prior to the giving of the Torah, relationship with God was more spiritual. But now our relationship with God is very physical. And through our physical deeds, physical mitzvahs, God physically resides in this world. I have a question. Do you know what happened to that guy that couldn't get into the shiva and was rejected by standing on the leaves where this other guy said he couldn't go to this yeshiva that he really wanted to go to and study? I have, that's a good question. The story is unknown. Um, I, look, if I was running yeshiva, I can't say I would hold anybody to that standard or reject anybody in, in, in those. But, because it seems like that guy made himself to be the judge and to be God. So he blocked somebody else from studying. Right. No, I, I'm, so the point is not whether he's correct or incorrect. Yeah. It's because um, it's, it's elevated, because the shkach, shkach is elevated. The point is that the, the shkach does have, yeah. does have holiness. holiness in it. Something physical does have holiness in it. All right. Yeah, um, but not much as, as a soul. Agreed. 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 No, I'm not saying what, look, whether he no, was right I, or I wrong. Know, I know what you're saying and I understand right. it. I'm just trying to say that the, the, the I, I, I've got a little question for the rabbi who did that. <laughs> I, get, I get you. He's crushed the dude, man. He crushed a leaf and then he gets into no, I get it. no longer. Yeah? I get it. I hope you I got into a different yeshiva. I get it. You're right. Definitely. 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 The Look, if these days, uh, or I should say if it was me, not to say that I'm, God forbid, any, any more qualified or better than that rabbi. <laughs> but, we, you know, we would point it out. Hey, by the way. But he had high expectations. Um, in general, somebody coming to yeshiva back then was an indication, it's ironic, it's counterintuitive, but 
Back in the day, coming to yeshiva means you were very knowledgeable. These days, we come to yeshiva to become knowledgeable. So, so maybe, yeah, maybe student it with intent and to break it. That that could be then you could be kicked out because then it's a disrespect. Right, you're saying because it wasn't even intentional. No, if it wasn't intentional, then there's there's a little bit of a problem. But otherwise, we don't know the circumstances, so it's fine. There's definitely details of the story missing, but but uh, bottom line, our physical mitzvahs, actions, have the ability to physically house God in this world. God could be, right now, God is in your room because you're studying his Torah, which is incredible. Maybe that's why God wanted Corona. Who knows? You know, you can't, you can't, we can't give reasons for God. But, but definitely one of the impacts of Corona is people bringing Judaism to their homes and not just coming to the, to the synagogue for it. Anyways, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Good story. Thank you. Um, yeah, pleasure. Thank you.